Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is PJ Smith, the spoken word artist who performs under the character name Roy. As Roy, PJ tells stories from the streets of his hometown of Liverpool. They're sometimes brutal, often funny, always powerful. His style is unpretentious and authentic. It's very much spoken word without all the bollocks. PJ's other life sees him work full-time with recovering addicts at a post-rehab centre. He himself is a former addict who's been sober since 2007. PJ's a real one-off, with an amazingly relatable way of talking about tough issues that affect so many men. I love chatting to him for this week's pod, and I hope you enjoy listening. PJ Smith, welcome to The Reset. All right, Sam. Thanks for having me, mate. It's a real pleasure to have you on, mate. I've been uh, wanting to have you on The Reset for a long time. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your story. Um, mate, hopefully a lot of people will be familiar with your uh, spoken word performance art and and how, you know, authentic it is and the sort of stories it tells, which, you know, are going to resonate with so many of us and entertain us too. But before we get into talking about that, where does this all come from, mate? What was What was life like before Roy? For you, um, well, only it's, it's hindsight that like makes you realise what it was like actually. Because when you're in it, you know, when I was born and up until me teenage years, maybe even me early twenties, everything's just you just kind of I anyway just no everything's normalised. Oh, this is how it is. Mm. It's fine. It's it's only it, it coincided with me like getting sober and having some clarity and thinking maybe like my upbringing wasn't as normal as I thought it was. You know what I mean? Because I didn't have any, um, what we call like big T traumas. So I I wasn't victim of violence or kidnap or abuse or mental torment or, but I had a lot of small T traumas that I would never have classed as traumas. Subtle. Mm -hmm. Ones mm. along the way. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that phrase, mate, small T and big T traumas, because this to me is so, is it that it's very true of my own story. And it's true of so many people I speak to through the reset. It's like we are almost like trained from an early age to, or we learn very quickly to pretend to be okay. And also the power of the word trauma, most yeah. of us associate that with like war veterans. Yeah, and if it's, course, any, man, yeah. if, if it's anything less than seeing your mate have his legs blown off by a landmine in Afghanistan, yeah. then you don't feel like you've got the right to call no, it trauma. No. And so I've been thinking for a while, we need a different term for it. But actually, mm. small T trauma works really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, you know, it's really interesting. And like so many people, you only started to investigate that after you got sober. Yeah. What, what tell us a bit about that? What led up to you deciding to get sober? I'd just be um, one of these people who I've encountered quite a lot since who just go, No, my upbringing was normal, the love and home. And then what usually follows that is we went on all of these, I had all the latest sportswear and computers. That's what they mean by a normal upbringing. Yeah, they don't then kind of you get to talk to them a little bit more about their life and there's a real um it's the Larkin poem isn't it you know what I mean your mum and dad mm. they fuck you up they don't mean to but that's what I, I think as well it's a 
sometimes some loyalty to the family system where you yes. don't want to say, you know, because um, you think you're bad-mouthing your mum and dad and that by saying, we, we, we didn't get much of my dad's time or, you know, my mum didn't show us affection. You don't want to say that because you think it's misloyal to them and you, yeah. you're going to think that other people think you're having a go at them, but it, no, nobody has a normal upbringing because I don't think there's such thing. Life mm-hmm. just takes chunks out of you. People only know what they know and nobody's perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, I know that feeling. It's like the first time I went to therapy, I was sort of like, the reason I've been resistant to it for so long, a large reason was I thought, I am not willing to start, yeah. even yeah. in confident, even in a confidential environment, I am not willing to badmouth my parents Yeah, because yeah. they always loved me. And nothing's yeah. changed. Of course, I know they love me. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And, and also what you learn in this ultimately, you don't really blame them, even if you can identify no. the, the moments or the things that they might have done by mistake that made you feel yeah. the way you felt. You can't really, you don't really blame them because you think, oh, shit, they're just like me. You know, how would, how they weren't exactly. to know, We're just like I'm not to know now. And then you think, yeah. oh, probably doing all sorts of damage to my kids about that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's quite quite a scary thought, really. Um yeah. uh so so when, when was that anyway when you when you sort of quit quit everything and got so I am um, so again like my there's probably there's probably people in my family and my mates who are like, you're not an alcoholic. Mm. You know what I mean? Because they they go off this uh, definition that they have, yeah. which is old stereotypical like what I mean when I say it is just that it did I didn't mix well with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Once I started, I couldn't nearly stop. And there was always a terrible ending. And that continued for years until I got to the point where the denial had been smashed a bit. And um I just kind of started to open up to the idea I might need to pack this in. Yeah. I might need to pack this in in order to and again similar to I listened to your Chip Summers episode and he said, yeah. like three days into rehab, he just went, right, this is for me. Yeah. That happened to me, but it took about two weeks and I just went, right, I can honestly see a life without drink or drugs. I can yeah. honestly see it and I want to I wanna piece together why I act like I act. I want to join the dots up of why I keep banging my head against the same wall um, and not specifically around drinking, more about me patting pattern of behaviour you know everyone has a pattern and we keep repeating it because we've got blind spots and I think mine was like and it's kind of linked to trauma um, in, a, in a kind of unconventional way so my dad was um, he was an al- binge drinking alcoholic he didn't drink every day he wasn't drunk all the time but when he'd drink he'd go for it um, he was a compulsive gambler as well and the lows off that, we'd kind of see his moods and all that kind of stuff. Um, so things like when my dad's not at my parents' evening or when he's not at my football presentations, as a six-year-old, seven, eight, unconsciously, like I'm thinking there's something wrong with me. Like everyone else, dad's here. What's wrong? Why isn't my dad? That's, and again, I, I want to like reiterate, I'm not conscious of that. I'm not a six-year-old yeah. thinking that. So, But by the time I get to 12, 13 and start drinking, that's, that's grown, that feeling. And then as I 
I'm turning into a young man. I've got this feeling of um, like a fault, a belief really, a deep rooted belief of I'm, I'm just a fucking inconvenience me. Mm. I'm just like meaningless to people. And what I try to do then, and this is what I see, I see this in a lot of people. Now you have this false, it's a false belief, um, but you try to disprove it. So the, you, I go about it the wrong way. So I'm trying to, sitting in pubs as it's in my early 20s or whatever, unconsciously again, trying to prove I'm not a dickhead, mm. but I'm acting like a dickhead. <laughs> so I'm kind of like borrowing money, not paying it back. I'm getting so pissed, I'm embarrassing people. I'm losing jobs. I can't hold on to relationships. So the very thing I'm trying to disprove, I'm actually proving it. Yeah. And when I prove it to myself, I go, see, you know, that's self-defeat at see. I knew it, and that's when I drink. And yeah. that, that's been my pattern that all my life. I've got, and it, it took me till I was 30 years old, like four, three years sober. I started to join the dots together. I'd done some therapy, like a, a course. And um, it was nothing to do with recovery from alcoholism. It was just personal development. And they said to me on the phone, are you in recovery? Have you ever had a problem? I said, i am been sober, yeah, I'm in recovery. He said, how long? I went three years and he kind of looked at me and went, okay, yeah, that should be enough. You'll you'll be able to withstand this course, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm thawed out, I'm dried out. And <laughs> yeah, 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 you're ready, yeah. Yeah, but I joined, I just joining the dots up and kind of understanding what my triggers are and, and me, why I react the way I do in certain situations because I didn't want to keep on doing it. Mm. Didn't I've been sober years and 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 drink had gone. It it wasn't really a thing for me anymore. But I knew there's got to be more to life than just not drinking. I don't want to yeah. just not drink. I want to crack on with things. And if I just keep it in the same obstacles, I'm not going to get anywhere. So it took a lot of humility, which I didn't really have in me in my adolescent years. And I was very arrogant and kind of a know-it-all. So sobriety took me down a couple of pegs or two and made me realise I have to take some responsibility for the way my life is instead of blaming and understand that, like, the classic uh, fatherless lad has played a part in that. I always said it didn't affect me. Mm. He wasn't there, so it didn't, his behaviour didn't affect me. But of course it did. Of mm. course it did. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much part of, like, um, masculine identity that isn't it like I talk to people and they go all the time ah, yeah this happened to me that happened to me but the thing about me is it doesn't bother me I've yeah, just moved yeah. on I've yeah. just moved on yeah. and it's like well yeah you yeah. move on you're still alive you're still living your life yeah. but perhaps you're carrying a load of shit with you yeah yeah like yeah. that that's that you, you don't necessarily need to do you know what I mean yeah it's a hammer in it. It's like a, um, it's a defense. When I'm, I know from my own experience, when I'm being defensive, like it just means I can't really grow or go anywhere because I'm, I'm stuck there. It's like the owl, you know, I'm fighting, I'm fighting against something rather than standing for something, like in a really yeah. simplistic way. I don't want to fight addiction. Mm. I want to stand for recovery. There's a big yeah. shift in energy there. Like, feels that yeah. way anyway for me. That's a beautiful way of looking at it. 
um, in the first few years, when you know, before you sort of undertook the therapy, what how do you see yourself then in those first three years? I'm always interested in that. I, I look back on my own first few years and I think, oh, I was just still fucking mad. I was just stopped putting things in my system to be yeah. mad, sort of thing. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. I had a lot of um, blind spots, behaviours um, that I just was oblivious to because I just thought, I'm not drinking, I'm not taking drugs, I'm not causing any bother. But actually I was. I was. I started to learn about that addiction isn't to do with the substances. Mm. It's, it's your fucking mindset and your view of the world. And But luckily, I, f- I feel fortunate because when I got sober, I didn't have anything to lose because I'd already lost it. Didn't have anywhere to live. Didn't have any money. Didn't have any jobs. Right. Didn't have a relationship. And I felt like I had an advantage on a lot of people in the rehab. I just had nothing, absolutely nothing at all to lose and just thought, I'm going to give this a go. And yeah. me kind of perception of, of the world around me shifted quite quickly. I was very cynical, very, very cynical, mm. closed-minded. And I, I, I wish I could explain what happened. Like It was the first time in my life I'd been surrounded with people who weren't, in many ways they were like me, but in many ways they weren't. They weren't gossiping, they weren't being negative and cynical. They were giving life a go. Mm. And that was like revolutionary to me. I was just like, fucking hell. What's up with these people? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Contagious, isn't it? Recovery is contagious. Well, it's like if you find, you start to discover new ways of, of enjoying life that yeah. you effectively cut yourself off from from quite a young age, almost the moment when you started drinking and taking drugs, which for a lot yeah. of us is very young. Yeah. And you kind of, that's when you fall into cynicism about almost any other lifestyle choice that isn't aligned with your own. Basically, yeah. And yeah. It's uh, fear, isn't it? Yeah. It's fear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and that, you know, it certainly took me a few years to get to the point, though, after getting sober, that I really, really wanted to embrace all of that new stuff yeah. and, and open my eyes and my mind. And I still feel now that I've got work further to go, which is quite an exciting prospect when you think yeah. of that. You think of how much you've changed, but you think sort of also think how little you've changed and how much, yeah. like more of the road is left ahead of you. That's so quite a that's shift, exciting. isn't it? Where, like, where you've just said then, you, you know, you're looking forward to the change, the upheaval and all that. But there must have been a time where you just dreaded that. It's like, do I have oh, yeah. to do all this shit? But when it yeah. changes like that, it's yeah, it's life changing, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it's, it's like if, if if you go on like some people go on a diet or they like change their the way they eat or they start exercising, and it's a fucking drag. But the moment yeah. at which it becomes all right is when you look in the mirror one morning or you tread yeah. on the scales and you think, shit, yeah. this has actually made a difference now. Yeah, and actually, if, I keep doing, if you keep doing that every day, it's going to get even better. Yeah, <laughs> then of course it can become an addiction in itself. But uh, no. <laughs> you know, and recovery can be an addiction, can't it? I mean, in in I mean, it's a good one, but you can get sort of so into it that you, you can miss the point. Yeah, yeah, you can miss the point. I've had um, I've had mates like that, and kind of like you know, they go, they say to me, you know. 
pay. I'm two years sober and I do a meeting every day and I've got service and and I, and some of them find religion or whatever. And they say, I pray and I meditate. And, and I go, yeah, but are you making any like interpersonal changes in your own, in your family, with your health, yeah, your hobbies? Yeah. And they go, no, like, well, you've missed the point. You've missed yeah. the point, Mike. This is not about just immersing yourself in those groups. It's about on a very basic level, like trying to enjoy your life and be of yeah. service to other people. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I had an experience once where there was somebody who was, whether it's religion or recovery or any form of lifestyle kind of thing you get into, it shouldn't be a fear-based thing if you're yeah. trying to make progress. So, I remember having these tickets for the cinema once, or it might have been the theatre, and I said to a lad, I know, you know, didn't have much of a kind of life outside meetings. I said, do you want Do you want one of these tickets? We'll go out, we'll have something to eat. And he said, I can't. I've got to make the tea at the meeting. Right. I said, get someone else to do it. Come and live, live here. And he was fearful. Like, if I yeah. don't make the tea, I might relapse or... People yeah. might think bad of me, and I was like, "Hey, you've got to have a life." Yeah, the, the meeting. I, 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 I 100% agree with you. You know, the meetings or whatever it is you do, even if you don't do me, yeah. you do something else. It's only to facilitate, yeah, real life. Yeah, what course, I, what mate, I call yeah. it, you're walking around life. Do you know yeah. what I mean? The, the yeah. life where you're actually out and about doing yeah. stuff, right? That's what it's all about. The other stuff yeah. is just to help and facilitate you doing yeah. it better. Exactly, mate. Yeah, to, to uh, help you to cope. Because that's that's the crux, isn't it, with addiction? There's a lot of poor coping skills. We don't. Everything's great when everything's great. Mm. The minute we hit an obstacle, then we see what we're really like. Mate, I don't want to sound yeah. like some fucking SAS motivational speaker type yeah. thing, but that's it, isn't it? When things are going well, of course it's easy. Yeah. But how do You're we right. cope when things aren't like? That, that's why I think addiction and anxiety is so closely related because the anxiety is often about your terror of the good times ending, there being change or disruption to your life, yeah. something yeah. bad lurking for you around the corner, right? Yeah. And uh, and then you kind of get sober, and at first you sort of think, well, now that I'm sober, hopefully that will get rid of all the bad things that were yeah, bothering yeah. in my life, like yeah. whether that be hangovers or relationship problems or just the constant fucking sense of shame, right? Oh, great, that's all gone. So that, anyways, no, bad shit keeps coming at you. Yeah. So what it is is learn to fucking know it's coming and have faith in yourself to cope with it, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that's the big, that's, that, that's one of the big turning points is when yeah. you realise, look, Shit keeps coming. Life doesn't yeah. get good overnight. People talk about the pink cloud, don't they? And yeah. I used to sometimes say to people when I was like in the first few years, it's fine, right? Just wait six weeks, then you'll get this fucking euphoria. It'll be like you're on a pill the whole time, right? <laughs> and they go, what? And does that last forever? <laughs> I think, yeah, kind of. I don't even know it fucking doesn't. It comes in a rush. It might last for a week or two, but after that, life just fucking carries on. Yeah. I've had a, I was saying the other day, I've had a fucking great year. And then my cat dropped dead, right? And I'm like, fuck, my cat's dead. And like, my cat had played such a huge role in my recovery, right? Because I had a special relationship with my cat. It wasn't sexual, but you know, it was like, there was, uh, I don't know, it fucking, 
it was a calming sort of thing and it represented to me a goodness and a consistency yeah. in my life and yeah, a simplicity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the fact that I could feel relaxed and calm just by spending time with cat. And then it fucking dropped dead this year. And I'm like, fuck. But the yeah. thing is, is that, you know, you, you, you kind of, you, you accept it. You don't try and distract yourself from it. No, you don't, no. you don't try and pretend it doesn't matter. You don't do the whole kind of, I'll be resilient and crack on, you know, fucking honoured the fact that he, he was dead, you know, and I, and I, and I felt sad and just fucking took that on. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then you just, you know, you, you keep moving. Um, what, tell me a bit about now, um, when you started your, um, when you started to do spoken word and what role your creativity has played in your ongoing recovery. It's an important role, I think, like because you re- your recovery kind of goes in stages, and it you know, like your level one is you, you, you get sober and you meet all these other people who are sober, and you having coffees with them, going to match with them, and all that, and, and and then kind of level two, it's kind of you know you've got to make some behaviour changes here, and mm. the point we're trying to get to is you want to feel a sense of purpose and belonging and connection with other human beings. Mm. And for most of us, that is just, the thought of that is just sickening. You know what I mean? (laughs) Inherent fucking loners. Most of the, most things, right? 95% of stuff that gets put my way, offered, suggested, my instinctive thought is, fuck off. You fucking have to. Yeah. I mean, it only lasts a couple of seconds and I end yeah. up doing, doing it and enjoying it and all that. But so, yeah, that, that, I didn't start. I was 10 years sober before I started doing that properly. And, um, but it's just added like another level of, um, it doesn't, it might not mean anything to other people, but to, to me it does. It, it makes me feel a bit more like, um, I'm very. I'm trying to find another word other than whole because it's a bit hippie-ish, but mm. it's whole, isn't it? It's it's complete. I I imagine always imagine myself with like my body, and um, just something shriveled up inside it. And each time I make progress in recovery, it, it fills up a bit and it fills up a bit until I'm I'm whole and and being creative helps stuff like that. Being creative, helping other people. Um, having conversations that I didn't want to have with people, mm. close ones, loved ones, having boundaries, man, you know what I mean? Boundaries do not leave home without them. They mm. just, they save me life. They keep me safe. Cause I didn't have any, I just say yeah to everything. I want to please people. And I'm, and I act in a, I'll be liked for a couple of minutes or seconds or hours, but I know there's a big consequence coming, but fuck that. I'll deal with that when it comes. Yeah. That's how I lived my life. And I kind of live it the opposite way now. And you so not, to get, put- not, not to get too psychoanalytical because I'm not qualified to do it, but just going back to what you said about how you felt when, you know, you subconsciously felt when you were young that you were worthless or, yeah. or you were an inconvenience. Do you yeah. think that's where then the later people pleasing comes from? Yeah. I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to show these people I'm not a dickhead and I'm not an inconvenience. Yeah. Watch this and do it another way by, I don't yeah. know, fibbing, sitting yeah. in pubs, lying, making up stories. That It's mm. funny, isn't it? Because I get paid to do that now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I used to do, exaggerate and claim this and that. I'll do this, I'll do that. And and I always let the side down. 
So the thing, you know, said it earlier, I'm trying to prove I'm not a fucking plant pot. Everyone ends up thinking I'm a plant pot. And with recovery, you just got to kind of play the long game, haven't you? You've got to be, it's about like, be consistent as a person, have boundaries. And boundaries can piss people off sometimes, especially when you have to tell them no, or or when you have to tell them they're being out of order. So there's like a a short-term consequence you know, someone will be pissed off with you. But there's a long-term gain that people don't fuck with you, really. People don't come to you with their nonsense anymore. Yeah. I remember being in rehab and, and just freaking out in the group room one day, just freaking out, going about it completely the wrong way. What I was saying, I stand by, but how I said it was wrong. I just, like, there was all kinds of sneakiness going on that you're not supposed to do in there and, couple of people had smuggled phones in. These were sleeping with each other. He was sneaking out of a night. And mm-hmm. I just went, rah, fuck this. I'm not lying anymore. <laughs> fucking pack it in. Don't be coming to me with your fucking lies. I'm not that. And I just yeah. kind of freaked out. Everyone was a bit like, what's wrong with him? Right. But it was, it was, I was trying to say to them, like, that shit got me here. All that, yeah. like, immature nonsense, you know, emotional immaturity. That's why I'm a 26-year-old man stuck in a rehab with nothing. And yeah. I don't want to carry on doing it. So you fuck off, you fuck off. And, uh, but from that, maybe like six, seven weeks later, when new people would move into the rehab, the staff would say to them, go and talk to PJ. He's, yeah. he's, got, he's moving in the right direction. If you, wanna, yeah. if you want guidance, go and talk to him. And that was the first time that had ever happened to me. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. People, take these staff in here see me as a responsible human being. Fucking hell, this is mad. And then one of them said, if you're still sober after a year, we'd think about taking you on here. That was yeah. a nice boost, but I, yeah. but I didn't want to do it. It was just like, no, that like, wouldn't want to work somewhere like this. But all those things just made me feel, yeah, that way is again, whole. Like, I'm, I'm not an inconvenience, you know mm. what I mean? And also there's like when you when you get really brutally honest about yourself and just get like closer to just being cool with exposing every single part of yourself, every vulnerability yeah. and all the rest of it, fuck me, just suddenly feel like amazing and you feel slightly yeah. bulletproof, don't you? It's very, very empowering. Mm. But I grew up with the message that it's disempowering. Don't ever do that. Don't tell yeah. anyone it's weak, don't show them it, they'll play on it. Nobody spelled that out to me. It, so in my upbringing, it's more what wasn't said than what yeah. was. Nobody yeah. told us this, that, and the other. But it was just non-verbal messages we were getting. Like, And um, yeah, that was one of mine. Also, Don't do that because this will happen. But then I'd done it and just felt no one can touch me here. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read in, in interviews that you've done in the past, stuff you've said, you know, about this idea of there's a lot of performative masculinity, especially if you're from a very kind of working class part of the world, yeah. which you are, um, and you, and um, you know, you, you you can't show vulnerability, but you also almost like guard against showing any sensitivity or even any level of intelligence because it can sort of make people take against you. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I read a, a, something that you said once about so, someone used the word, was it whatsoever or That's it, yeah. none yeah, whatsoever? And, true, uh, yeah. and he got, and he ended up getting beaten up for it. 
yeah, there's this, it was like, I remember that exact situation. It was in my flat. Someone was asking for a, a cigarette, like to make a spliff with, and yeah. no one was replying. And, and he just shouted out, has, has there no ciggies whatsoever? <laughs> and everyone just kind of turned around and went, this, this fucker's trying to be clever with us, using yeah. words like whatsoever. Yeah. It's got ostracized like one of them. But yeah. where I grew up, it, it, we were talking about this yesterday at work. Like anything different was viewed with suspicion. Like yeah. food, clothes, people, hobbies, students, just anything. It was just their different to us. So let's, and again, that never got spelled out. It was yeah. just the message we got. Like, be careful with them. They're different. He wears cords, watch him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I get it now. I get yeah. it because I was so like uncomfortable with who I was years ago that I wouldn't do anything that had rocked the boat. Whereas, I'm not too hung up on what people think of me now to a certain extent. And um, I, I get it. I'm the one who gets it. Like mates I've grew up with say to me, what are you doing? Poetry. Mm. Like, no, no, stories. And they're like, what? So like stand up. I'm like, no. It, and you go, what are you doing that for? You know, they just can't fathom out why somebody from where we're from would, would want to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. It makes no sense to them. But but do you find that because you're so you can be so upfront about explaining it and talking about yeah. it, it's a lot less bad than in the past you might have done something that was a little bit different and you try and bullshit your mates yeah. so they wouldn't know you were doing it. Or exactly. you go, Oh, I'm not really doing it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's unashamed now. It's unashamed yeah. where does it used yeah. to be? Like, Resolving to be unashamed out. about the weird bits of yourself. Yeah. Again, yeah. you're like, mate. And you find that people kind of back off when they can sense that you don't give a shit. Yeah, so anyone who might have taken the piss or bullied you or, you know, tried to sort of make you feel less because you were doing something different, the moment they see it as something that you could not give a fuck about, right, yeah. they kind of back off because they it's think, I've got, I've got nothing to gain from taking the piss here. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I think that's that's a really wonderful thing. So yeah. so now as as well as your um spoken word and your uh, your art that you that you do in the you know the guise of Roy, you also your day job is working with people in recovery, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. I work at a place called Damien John Kelly House. And um I've been doing similar jobs for maybe 12, 13 years, but this one is the one that kind of we're kind of using all the mistakes and things we didn't agree with from previous jobs to get this this one right, and it's just um, that's pretty life affirming to be honest. I know that's a that sounds cheesy, you know, but how can how can it not be when you literally watch people change into much better human beings who would have much more used to their families, the communities, themselves? That's we try and instill it in people, you know, start to make decisions based on self and other equally. Yeah. You know what I mean? Don't just make it for yourself. That's pretty selfish. Don't make it based on what your wife or your dad wants you to do because you, you're missing yourself out there. Try and get that balance right. And it's not easy to do when you've been like someone I've been, a people pleaser or, you know, my well-being's based on what other people think of me. But like you said earlier, it's, it's really powerful. You start to feel, oh yeah, this is who I am. 
Mm-hmm. The gap between who you think you are and who you really are gets bridged. Oh, when you're yeah. doing when you're doing like the inner inner work, you know what I mean? If you do it because yeah. a lot of people ourselves probably included when we knew we had an issue with substances, would just be, well, I just need to change, get this job or move out or yeah. change partners. Or it was all external, because external mm. seems easy. But if you do it the right way around, change who you are internally. All the external stuff works out anyway. I don't know anyone who's been in recovery for like three, four, five years who hasn't ended up getting a decent job, who has become more kind of attractive to employers and partners and friends. Just doors open for you when you change who you are and you're consistent with it. Why yeah. wouldn't they? You know what I mean? Yeah. That I mean, that is life affirming, mate. There's no yeah. other, there's no, no other phrase I can think of, and it and it's really inspirational. Is it tough on you though? Sometimes working with people in recovery as well. I mean, does it take a lot for you to sort of deal with with people every day who are going through struggles and seeing some of them not always succeed straight away? It can be frustrating um, when you can see something coming like a mile off. You can see a relapse process happening. You can see like an emotional relapse. You know, a mental relapse is going to happen soon. And then you know what happens after that. And there's there's only so much. You can't stop people. You know what I mean? You can't save people. We don't take credit for saving people. We don't take the blame. If people lapse, we just do what we do. And some take it on and some don't. Mm. Most do, to be fair. It's... um, it's a good community of people we've got. And at the core of it, it's just kind of art, sport, culture. And it seems to be working out okay. Yeah. 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 Creativity is obviously a really powerful force in all of this. I know that one of the key switches in my life was switching off all news and radio, talk radio, yeah. and only committing myself to like listening to music. <laughs> right. A just simple like change, but yeah. very effective. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and is that is, is so that is the sort of you know that's the driving force of the uh, of your work, is it like creative and arts based? Yeah, um, physical and kind of like there's some emotional therapy groups where we we talk about like what we've been talking about, yeah, noticing your triggers and your patterns and joining the dots together and basically being accountable. So not you know if someone. If I sit here and go, oh, you know, listen, Sam, this is doing me head in, that's doing me head in, that's doing... Ultimately, we want to go underneath that. You know, you'd probably say, what is it about this in you? And I know it sounds kind of a bit iffy-tiffy, but you can't just keep blaming outside things for the, mm. the, the situation you've ended up in because it'll go nowhere and you'll keep ending up in them situations. The minute you take some kind of responsibility for things, that's when my life changed. Mm. that's when my life changed when I held my hands up not about saying everything's my fault but about saying I'm going to take some responsibility for how I'm going to react to this now or what I do about this instead of just sitting and complaining it's it's a, it seems so obvious but it's not it's not well, yeah, yeah when you're when you're using when you're drinking or using drugs it's like that is your response to a bad situation. Course, just complaining and and and, take, and and just like sort of disappearing from it yeah. for a little while yeah. and 
And uh, you don't have much other choice once you're, you're no. sober to than to just confront this no. stuff. And each time you confront it, it becomes a little bit easier and you learn a bit more. Um, yeah. The way you talk about this stuff is amazing. Um, and I would imagine that that is so powerful for the people you work with in recovery. Because, you know, on a few occasions in our chat now, you know, there's been moments where you you sort of, you know, said, well, I don't want to use this phrase because it's a bit hippie or it might sound yeah. a bit this, that, the other. That's something but, I've got to look at, isn't it? What's that about that? What's no, wrong with I, it no, I, no, but <laughs> yeah, it's nothing wrong with hippies. <laughs> but I know what you mean. I know what you mean because I, I, you know, I think the same thing. I think, you know, the sort of stuff you're saying is, is very powerful. It's very helpful. I'm sure people listening to this now draw a lot out of it. But it's it's not just the content, it's the way in which you say it. And that's another struggle that we've got, isn't it? Is that a lot of these conversations traditionally have been sort of couched in a more formal or clinical or sometimes like it can sound a bit pretentious or new age or whatever. Yeah. Some of the language psychobabble can sound a bit alienating. And if you can read between the lines and you know what this what the psychobabble means, which Well, you and I probably do, even though we don't talk yeah. that way. We kind of can understand. I can sit in a group no, with it. other sorts of people academically. But I can understand what they mean because, I've, frankly, I've been in recovery long enough and I've read enough about it that I know. But it's alienating to other people, some yeah. of that stuff. And, it is, yeah. And so it's. I just think what you're doing and the way you do it is really important and it's a, and it's a, and it proves to everyone else out there as well that, that if you can share and you can just talk about your shit in your own language, then it, yeah. that's going to help people a huge amount because, you know, these conversations need to be done in as many different types of language as possible, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. You're right about, like, um, it can exclude people, that mm. what you call, like, psychobabble. And you've probably heard the, the phrase about, like, having had a spiritual awakening. And, mm. and that just that just terrified me, that when I was <laughs> yeah. like 26 and... Um, I, you know, I told someone who was helping me, and he he just kind of like translated it into into scouse basically into yes. no. He just went, mate. He went, all that means, mate, is like the ability to act, think, and feel different in that order, and that's what yeah. you're after. So that's I've passed that fella who told me that he's passed away. Like, but I I've took that with me, and when I see people freaking out at those kind of phrases, I'm like, listen, man, we'll just yeah. simplify it. This is all it means. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I get, I get that now. I understand that, but like, like you say, it can be off-putting. You can just think this isn't for me. Yeah, yeah, mate, you're genuinely such an inspirational bloke. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of your work and your art. But listening to you talk today and your thoughts on therapy, think you know the people who you're working with are very lucky people, and I, and I and I hope that you know, the people listening to this will take a lot of inspiration because I can imagine, especially if you're struggling, you're thinking about how you might begin to sort of improve your situation, then listening yeah. to your words today, you know, I think would have helped a lot of people. I'm, I'm yeah. really grateful for your time, mate. I'm blown Thanks away by asking. some of the stuff you said today. I really appreciate it. It's right, Sam. Cheers, mate. That was PJ Smith, a.k.a. Roy, a top bloke. I can highly recommend his collection of stories, Algorithm Party. I'll put a link to it in the blurb under this episode. If you want to find out more about his work and maybe go and see him live, then follow him on Twitter at BadWool9. That's B-A-D-W-O-O-L-9. 
The man's a creative powerhouse, doing amazing work, so I strongly urge you to check out more of his output. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to subscribe at sandelaney.substat.com for more podcasts and regular newsletters from me. For a fiver a month, you can help keep the reset going in 2023 and beyond. Until next time, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. <laughs>